Chapter Five, Part One of the Complete Angler. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. The Complete Angler by Isaac Walton. Chapter Five, Part One. The Third Day Continued. On the Trout. Piscator, Peter, Venator, Corridon. Piscator. Well met, brother Peter. I heard you and a friend would lodge here to-night, and that hath made me to bring my friend to lodge here too. My friend is one that would fain be a brother of the angle. He hath been an angler but this day, and I have taught him how to catch a chub, by dapping with a grasshopper, and the chub he caught was a lusty one of nineteen inches long. But pray, brother Peter, who is your companion? Peter. Brother Piscator, my friend is an honest countryman, and his name is Corridon, and he is a downright witty companion, that met me here purposely to be pleasant and eat a trout and i have not yet wetted my line since we met together but i hope to fit him with a trout for his breakfast for i'll be early up piscator nay brother you shall not stay so long for look you here is a trout will fill six reasonable bellies come hostess dress it presently and get us what other meat the house will afford and give us some of your best barley wine the good liquor that our honest forefathers did use to think of the drink which preserved their health and made them live so long and to do so many good deeds peter on my word this trout is perfect in season come i thank you and here is a hearty draught to you and to all the brothers of the angle wheresoever they be and to my young brother's good fortune to-morrow i will furnish him with a rod if you will furnish him with the rest of the tackling we will set him up and make him a fisher and i will tell him one thing for his encouragement that his fortune hath made him happy to be scholar to such a master a master that knows as much both of the nature and breeding of fish as any man and can also tell him as well how to catch and cook them from the minnow to the salmon as any that i ever met with all piscator trust me brother peter i find my scholar to be so suitable to my own humour which is to be free and pleasant and civilly merry that my resolution is to hide nothing that i know from him believe me scholar this is my resolution and so here's to you a hearty draught and to all that love us and the honest art of angling venator trust me good master you shall not sow your seed in barren ground for i hope to return you an increase answerable to your hopes but however you shall find me obedient and thankful and serviceable to my best ability piscator tis enough honest scholar come let's to supper come my friend corridon this trout looks lovely it was twenty-two inches when it was taken and the belly of it looked some part of it as yellow as a marigold and part of it as white as a lily and yet methinks it looks better in this good sauce corridon indeed honest friend it looks well and tastes well i thank you for it and so doth my friend peter or else he is to blame peter yes and so i do we all thank you and when we have supped i will get my friend corridon to sing you a song for requital corridon i will sing a song if anybody will sing another else to be plain with you i will sing none I am none of those that sing for meat, but for company, I say, tis merry in hall when men sing all. Piscator. I'll promise you I'll sing a song that was lately made, at my request, by Mr. William Bass, one that hath made the choice songs of the hunter in his career, and of Tom of Bedlam, and many others of note, and this that I will sing is in praise of angling. Corridon. And then mine shall be the praise of a countryman's life. What will the rest sing of? Peter. I will promise you I will sing another song in praise of angling to-morrow night, for we will not part till then, but fish to-morrow, and sup together, and the next day 
every man leave fishing and fall to his business venator tis a match and i will provide you a song or a catch against then too which shall give some addition of mirth to the company for we will be civil and as merry as beggars piscator tis a match my masters let's e'en say grace and turn to the fire drink the other cup to wet our whistles and so sing away all sad thoughts come on my masters who begins i think it is best to draw cuts and avoid contention peter it is a match look the shortest cut falls to corridan corridan well then i will begin for i hate contention corridan's song o oh, the sweet contentment the countryman doth find hey trelolly lolly foe hey trelolly lee that quiet contemplation possesseth all my mind then care away and wend along with me for courts are full of flattery as hath too oft been tried hey trelolly lolly foe hey trelolly lee the city full of wantonness and both are full of pride then care away and wend along with me but oh the honest countryman speaks truly from his heart hey trelolly lolly foe hey trelolly lee his pride is in his tillage his horses and his cart then care away and wend along with me our clothing is good sheepskins grey russet for our wives hey trelolly lolly foe hey trelolly lee tis warmth and not gay clothing that doth prolong our lives then care away and wend along with me the ploughman though he labour hard yet on the holy day hey trelolly lolly foe hey trelolly lee no emperor so merrily does pass his time away then care away and wend along with me to recompense our tillage the heavens afford us showers hey trelolly lolly foe hey trelolly lee and for our sweet refreshment the earth affords us bowers then care away and wend along with me the cuckoo and the nightingale full merrily do sing hey trelolly lolly foe hey trelolly lee and with their pleasant roundelays bid welcome to the spring then care away and wend along with me this is not half the happiness the countryman enjoys hey trelolly lolly foe hey trelolly lee though others think they have as much yet he that says so lies then come away turn countrymen with me joe chalkhill piscator well sung corridan this song was sung with metal and it was choicely fitted to the occasion i shall love you for it as long as i know you i would you were a brother of the angle for a companion that is cheerful and free from swearing and scurrilous discourse is worth gold i love such mirth as does not make friends ashamed to look upon one another next morning nor men that cannot well bear it to repent the money they spend when they be warmed with drink and take this for a rule you may pick out such times and such companies that you make yourselves merrier for a little than a great deal of money for tis the company and not the charge that makes the feast and such a companion you prove i thank you for it but i will not compliment you out of the debt that i owe you and therefore i will begin my song and wish it may be so well liked the angler's song as inward love breeds outward talk the hound some praise and some the hawk some better pleased with private sport use tennis some a mistress court but these delights i neither wish nor envy while i freely fish who hunts doth oft in danger ride who hawks lures oft both far and wide who uses game shall often prove a loser but who falls in love is fettered in fond cupid's snare my angle breeds me no such care of recreation there is none so free as fishing is alone all other pastimes do no less than mind and body both possess my hand alone my work can do so i can fish and study too i care not i to fish in seas fresh rivers best my mind do please 
whose sweet calm course I contemplate, and seek in life to imitate. In civil bounds I fain would keep, and for my past offences weep. And when the timorous trout I wait to take, and he devours my bait, how poor a thing sometimes I find will captivate a greedy mind. And when none bite I praise the wise, whom vain allurements ne'er surprise. But yet, though while I fish I fast, I make good fortune my repast, and thereunto my friend invite, in whom I more than that delight, who is more welcome to my dish than to my angle was my fish. As well content no prize to take, as use of taken prize to make, for so our Lord was pleased when he fishes made fishes of men, where, which is in no other game, a man may fish and praise his name. The first men that our Saviour dear did choose to wait upon him here, blessed fishes were, and fish the last food was that he on earth did taste. I therefore strive to follow those whom he to follow him hath chose. W. B. Corridon. Well sung, brother. You have paid your debt in good coin. We anglers are all beholden to the good man that made this song. Come, hostess, give us more ale, and let's drink to him. And now let's every one go to bed, that we may rise early. But first let's pay our reckoning, for I will have nothing to hinder me in the morning, for my purpose is to prevent the sun rising. Peter. A match. Come, Corridon, you are to be my bedfellow. I know, brother, you and your scholar will lie together. But where shall we meet to-morrow night? For my friend Corridon and I will go up the water towards where? Piscator. And my scholar and I will go down towards Waltham. Corridon. Then let's meet here, for here are fresh sheets that smell of lavender, and I'm sure we cannot expect better meat, or better usage in any place. Peter. Tis a match. Good night to everybody. Piscator. And so say I. Venator. And so say I. The fourth day. Piscator. Good morrow, good hostess. I see my brother Peter still in bed. Come, give my scholar and me a morning drink, and a bit of meat to breakfast, and be sure to get a dish of meat or two against supper, for we shall come home as hungry as hawks. Come, scholar, let's be going. Venator. Well now, good master, as we walk towards the river, give me direction, according to your promise, how I shall fish for a trout. Piscator. My honest scholar, I will take this very convenient opportunity to do it. The trout is usually caught with a worm or a minnow, which some call a peak, or with a fly, viz. either a natural or an artificial fly, concerning which three I will give you some observations and directions. And first for worms. Of these there be very many sorts. Some breed only in the earth, as the earthworm, others of or amongst plants, as the dugworm, and others breed either out of excrements, or in the bodies of living creatures, as in the horns of sheep or deer or some of dead flesh, as the maggot or gentle, and others. Now these be most of them particularly good for particular fishes. But for the trout, the dew-worm, which some also call the lob-worm, and the brandling, are the chief, and especially the first for a great trout, and the latter for a less. There be also of lob-worms some called squirrel-tails, a worm that has a red head, a streak down the back, and a broad tail, which are noted to be the best, because they are the toughest and most lively and live longest in the water. For you are to know that a dead worm is but a dead bait, and like to catch nothing, compared to a lively, quick, stirring worm. And for a brandling he is usually found in an old dunghill, or some very rotten place near to it, but most usually in cow-dung, or hogs-dung, rather than horse-dung, which is somewhat too hot and dry for that worm. But the best of them are to be found in the bark of the tanners, which they cast up in heaps after they have used it about their leather. There are also divers other kinds of worms, 
which for colour and shape alter even as the ground out of which they are got, as the marsh-worm, the tag-tail, the flag-worm, the dock-worm, the oak-worm, the gilt-tail, the twatchel or lob-worm, which of all others is the most excellent bait for a salmon, and too many to name, even as many sorts as some think there be of several herbs or shrubs, or of several kinds of birds in the air, of which I shall say no more, but tell you that what worms soever you fish with are the better for being well scoured, that is, long kept before they be used, and in case you have not been so provident, then the way to cleanse and scour them quickly is to put them all night in water, if they be lobworms, and then put them into your bag with fennel. But you must not put your brandlings above an hour in water, and then put them into fennel for sudden use. But if you have time and purpose to keep them long, then they be best preserved in an earthen pot with good store of moss, which is to be fresh every three or four days in summer, and every week or eight days in winter, or at least the moss taken from them and clean washed and wrung betwixt your hands till it be dry, and then put it to them again. And when your worms, especially the brandling, begins to be sick and lose of his bigness, then you may recover him by putting a little milk or cream about a spoonful in a day into them by drops on the moss and if there be added to the cream an egg beaten and boiled in it then it will both fatten and preserve them long and note that when the knot which is near to the middle of the brandling begins to swell then he is sick and if he be not well looked to is near dying and for moss you are to note that there be divers kinds of it which i could name to you but i will only tell you that that which is likest a buck's horn is the best except it be soft white moss which grows on some heaths and is hard to be found and note that in a very dry time when you are put to an extremity for worms walnut-tree leaves squeezed into water or salt in water to make it bitter or salt and then that water poured on the ground where you shall see worms are used to rise in the night will make them to appear above ground presently and you may take notice some say that camphire put into your bag with your moss and worms gives them a strong and so tempting a smell that the fish fare the worse, and you the better for it. And now I shall shew you how to bait your hook with a worm, so as shall prevent you from much trouble, and the loss of many a hook too, when you fish for a trout with a running line, that is to say, when you fish for him by hand at the ground. I will direct you in this as plainly as I can, that you may not mistake. Suppose it be a big lob-worm, put your hook into him somewhat above the middle, and out again a little below the middle, having so done, draw your worm above the arming of your hook, but note that, at the entering of your hook, it must not be at the head-end of the worm, but at the tail-end of him, that the point of your hook may come out toward the head-end, and having drawn him above the arming of your hook, then put the point of your hook again into the very head of the worm, till it come near to the place where the point of the hook first came out, and then draw back that part of the worm that was above the shank or arming of your hook, and so fish with it. And if you mean to fish with two worms, then put the second on before you turn back the hook's head of the first worm. You cannot lose above two or three worms before you attain to what I direct you, and having attained it you will find it very useful, and thank me for it, for you will run on the ground without tangling. Now for the minnow or penk, he is not easily found in court till March or in April, for then he appears first in the river, nature having taught him to shelter and hide himself in the winter, in ditches that be near to the river, and there both to hide and keep himself warm in the mud, or in the weeds, which rot not so soon as in a running river in which place if he were in winter the distempered floods that are usually in that season would suffer him to take no rest but carry him headlong to mills and weirs to his confusion and of these minnows first you are to know that the biggest size is not the best and next that the middle size and the whitest are the best and then you are to know that your minnow must be so put on your hook 
that it must turn round when tis drawn against the stream, and that it may turn nimbly, you must put it on a big-sized hook, as I shall now direct you, which is thus. Put your hook in at his mouth, and out as his skill. Then, having drawn your hook two or three inches beyond or through his skill, put it again into his mouth, and the point and beard out at his tail, and then tie the hook and his tail about very neatly with a white thread, which will make it the apter to turn quick in the water. That done, pull back that part of your line which was slack, when you did put your hook into the minnow the second time. I say pull that part of your line back, so that it shall fasten the head, so that the body of the minnow shall be almost straight on your hook. This done, try how it will turn, by drawing it across the water or against a stream. And if it do not turn nimbly, then turn the tail a little to the right or left hand and try again, till it turn quick. For if not, you are in danger to catch nothing, for know that it is impossible that it should turn too quick. And you are yet to know that in case you want a minnow, then a small loach or a stickleback, or any other small fish that will turn quick, will serve as well. And you are yet to know that you may salt them, and by that means keep them ready and fit for use three or four days or longer, and that of salt, bay salt is the best. And here let me tell you what many old anglers know right well, that at some times and in some waters a minnow is not to be got, and therefore let me tell you, I have, which I will shoot you, an artificial minnow, that will catch a trout as well as an artificial fly, and it was made by a handsome woman that had a fine hand, and a live minnow lying by her. The mould or body of the minnow was cloth and wrought upon, or over it thus with a needle, the back of it with very sad French green silk, and paler green silk towards the belly, shadowed as perfectly as you can imagine, just as you see a minnow. The belly was wrought also with a needle, and it was, a part of it, white silk, and another part of it with silver thread. The tail and fins were of a quill, which were shaven thin, the eyes were of two little black beads, and the head was so shadowed, and all of it so curiously wrought, and so exactly dissembled, that it would beguile any sharp-sighted trout in a swift stream. And this minnow I will now shew you. Look, here it is. And if you like it, lend it you, to have two or three made by it. For they be easily carried about an angler, and be of excellent use. For note that a large trout will come as fiercely at a minnow, as the highest mettled hawk doth seize on a partridge, or a greyhound on a hare. I have been told that one hundred and sixty minnows have been found in a trout's belly. Either the trout had devoured so many, or the miller that gave it a friend of mine had forced them down his throat after he had taken him. Now for flies, which is the third bait wherewith trouts are usually taken. You are to know that there are so many sorts of flies as there be of fruits. I will name you but some of them, as the dun fly, the stone fly, the red fly, the moor fly, the tawny fly, the shell fly, the cloudy or blackish fly, the flag fly, the vine fly, there be of flies, caterpillars, and canker flies, and bear flies, and indeed too many either for me to name or for you to remember. And their breeding is so various and wonderful, that I might easily amaze myself and tire you in a relation of them. And yet I will exercise your promised patience by saying a little of the caterpillar, or the palmer fly, or worm, that by them you may guess what a work it were in a discourse, but to run over those very many flies, worms, and little living creatures, with which the sun and summer adorn and beautify the river-banks and meadows, both for the recreation and contemplation of us anglers, pleasures which I think myself enjoy more than any other man that is not of my profession. Pliny holds an opinion that many have their birth, or being, from a dew that in the spring falls upon the leaves of trees, and that some kinds of them are from a dew left upon herbs or flowers, and the others from a dew left upon coal-warts or cabbages, all which kinds of dews being thickened and condensed, 
are by the sun's generative heat most of them hatched, and in three days made living creatures, and these of several shapes and colours, some being hard and tough, some smooth and soft, some are horned in their head, some in their tail, some have none, some have hair, some none, some have sixteen feet, some less, and some have none. But as our topsail hath with great diligence observed, those which have none move upon the earth, or upon broad leaves, their motion being not unlike to the waves of the sea. Some of them he also observes to be bred of the eggs of other caterpillars, and that those in their time turn to be butterflies, and again that their eggs turn the following year to be caterpillars. And some affirm that every plant has its particular fly or caterpillar which it breeds and feeds. I have seen, and may therefore affirm it, a green caterpillar or worm, as big as a small peascod, which had fourteen legs, eight on the belly, four under the neck, and two near the tail. It was found on a hedge of privet, and was taken thence, and put into a large box, and a little branch or two of privet put to it, on which I saw it feed as sharply as a dog gnaws a bone. It lived thus five or six days, and thrived, and changed the colour two or three times, but by some neglect in the keeper of it, it then died, and did not turn to a fly. But if it had lived, it had doubtless turned to one of those flies that some call flies of prey, which those that walk by the rivers may in summer see fastened on smaller flies, and I think make them their food. And tis observable, that as there be these flies of prey which be very large, so there be others, very little, created, I think, only to feed them, and breed out of I know not what, whose life, they say, nature intended not to exceed an hour, and yet that life is thus made shorter by other flies, or accident. Tis endless to tell you what the curious searchers into nature's productions have observed of these worms and flies, but yet I shall tell you what Aldrovandus or Topsel, and others, say of the palmer-worm or caterpillar, that whereas others content themselves to feed on particular herbs or leaves, for most think those very leaves that gave them life and shape gave them a particular feeding and nourishment, and that upon them they usually abide, yet he observes that this is called a pilgrim or palmer-worm, for his very wandering life and various food, not contenting himself, as others do, with any one certain place for his abode, nor any certain kind of herb or flower for his feeding, but will boldly and disorderly wander up and down, and not endure to be kept to a diet, or fixed to a particular place. Nay, the very colours of caterpillars are, as one has observed, very elegant and beautiful. I shall, for a taste of the rest, describe one of them, which I will, some time the next month, shew you feeding on a willow-tree, and you shall find him punctually to answer this very description. His lips and mouth somewhat yellow, his eyes black as jet, his forehead purple, his feet and hinder parts green, his tail too forked and black, the whole body stained with a kind of red spots, which run along the neck and shoulder-blade, not unlike the form of St. Andrew's cross, or the letter X, made thus crosswise, and a white line drawn down his back to his tail, all which add much beauty to his whole body. And it is to me observable that at a fixed age this caterpillar gives over to eat, and towards winter comes to be covered over with a strange shell or crust, called an aurelia, and so lives a kind of dead life without eating all the winter. And as others of several kinds turn to be several kinds of flies and vermin, the spring following, so this caterpillar then turns to be a painted butterfly. Come, come, my scholar, you see the river stops our morning walk, and I will also here stop my discourse. Only as we sit down under this honeysuckle hedge, whilst I look a line to fit the rod that our brother Peter hath lent you, I shall, for a little confirmation of what I have said, repeat the observation of Dubatus. God, not contented to each kind to give, 
and to infuse the virtue generative made by his wisdom many creatures breed of lifeless bodies without venous deed so the cold humour breeds the salamander who in effect like to her birth's commander with child with hundred winters with her touch quencheth the fire though glowing ne'er so much so of the fire in burning furnace springs the fly pyrouster with the flaming wings without the fire it dies within it joys living in that which each shine else destroys so slow boötes underneath him sees in the icy isles those goslings hatched of trees whose fruitful leaves falling into the water are turned they say to living fowls soon after so rotten sides of broken ships do change to barnacles o oh, transformation strange twas first a green tree then a gallant hull lately a mushroom now a flying gull venator o oh, my good master this morning walk has been spent to my great pleasure and wonder but i pray when shall i have your direction how to make artificial flies like to those that the trout loves best and also how to use them piscator my honest scholar it is now past five of the clock we will fish till nine and then go to breakfast go you to yonder sycamore tree and hide your bottle of drink under the hollow root of it for about that time and in that place we will make a brave breakfast with a piece of powdered beef and a radish or two that i have in my fish-bag we shall i warrant you make a good honest wholesome hungry breakfast and i will then give you direction for the making and using of your flies and in the meantime there is your rod and line and my advice is that you fish as you see me do and let's try which can catch the first fish venator i thank you master i will observe and practise your direction as far as i am able piscator look you scholar you see i have hold of a good fish i now see it is a trout i pray put that net under him and touch not my line for if you do then we break all well done scholar i thank you now for another trust me i have another bite come scholar come lay down your rod and help me to land this as you did the other so now we shall be sure to have a good dish of fish for supper venator i am glad of that but i have no fortune sure master yours is a better rod and better tackling piscator nay then take mine and i will fish with yours look you scholar i have another come do as you did before and now i have a bite at another oh me he has broke all there's half a line and a good hook lost venator ay and a good trout too piscator nay the trout is not lost for pray take notice no man can lose what he never had venator master i can neither catch with the first nor second angle i have no fortune piscator look you scholar i have yet another and now having caught three brace of trouts i will tell you a short tale as we walk towards our breakfast a scholar a preacher i should say that was to preach to procure the approbation of a parish that he might be their lecturer had got from his fellow-pupil the copy of a sermon that was first preached with great commendation by him that composed it and though the borrower of it preached it word for word as it was at first yet it was utterly disliked as it was preached by the second to his congregation which the sermon borrower complained of to the lender of it and was thus answered i lent you indeed my fiddle but not my fiddlestick for you are to know that every one cannot make music with my words which are fitted for my own mouth and so my scholar you are to know that as the ill pronunciation or ill accenting of words in a sermon spoils it so the ill carriage of your line or not fishing even to a foot in a right place makes you lose your labour and you are to know that though you have my fiddle that is my very rod and tacklings with which you see i catch fish yet you have not my fiddlestick 
that is, you yet have not skill to know how to carry your hand and line, nor how to guide it to a right place. And this must be taught you, for you are to remember, I told you angling is an art, either by practice or a long observation, or both. But take this for a rule. When you fish for a trout with a worm, let your line have so much, and not more lead, than will fit the stream in which you fish, that is to say, more in a great troublesome stream than in a smaller, that is, quieter, as near as may be, so much as will sink the bait to the bottom, and keep it still in motion, and not more. But now let's say grace and fall to breakfast. What say you, scholar, to the providence of an old angler? Does not this meat taste well? And was not this place well chosen to eat it? For this sycamore tree will shade us from the sun's heat. Venator. All excellent good, and my stomach excellent good too. And now I remember, and find that true which devout Lessius says, that poor men, and those that fast often, have much more pleasure in eating than rich men, and gluttons, that always feed before their stomachs are empty of their last meat, and call for more. For by that means they rob themselves of that pleasure that hunger brings to poor men. And I do seriously approve of that saying of yours, that you had rather be a civil, well-governed, well-grounded, temperate, poor angler, than a drunken lord. But I hope there is none such. However, I am certain of this, that I have been at many very costly dinners that have not afforded me half the content that this has done, for which I thank God and you. And now, good master, proceed to your promised direction for making and ordering my artificial fly. Piscator. My honest scholar, I will do it, for it is a debt due unto you by my promise. And because you shall not think yourself more engaged to me than indeed you really are, I will freely give you such directions as were lately given to me by an ingenious brother of the angle, an honest man and a most excellent fly-fisher. End of chapter 5, part 1